that we'd see God. Uh, that's what I shared with you last week. Uh, that's my heart for this entire series called Ask, that you'd see God. Uh, I shared that with you last week, but I also know that um, lots of people have questions. You have questions. We all have questions. We have questions that we're actually asking God, uh, but not everyone who asks questions of God actually gets to see God. Uh, and my heart in this series was not that we would just have answers to the questions that we're asking, but my heart was very simple, is that we'd actually see God in the midst of the questions that we're asking of God, which means we might not get answers to all of the questions that we have, but I promise you, if you catch a glimpse or catch a vision of God, uh, that is a great win, and that is my hope for this series, is that we would see God. Uh, last Sunday, we kicked off the series not with a question that we had for God, but a question that I believe that God has for us. And how we answer this one question will actually shape our ability to even understand the answers that God would give us. And the question that God had for us or has for us is, what are you going to do with my son? What will you do with my son? Because how you answer that one question of what will you do with my son not only shapes your ability to understand answers that God would have for you, but it will shape whether you can even know God, see God, hear God, understand God, relate with God, walk with God. So this one question that God has for us, by the way, I'm not suggesting that's the only question God has. Uh, God has many questions for us, but how we answer this question shapes everything in our relationship with God. What will you do with my son? Uh, this morning, we're going to... Uh, begin uh, looking at questions that people submitted. And I think I told you this last week, but we're going to have some theological questions. We're going to have questions about culture. We're going to have some questions about apologetics. Uh, we'll have some questions about life. And then uh, a great category, I just didn't know how else to name it, junk drawer questions. Of, they didn't fit in another category, but they were just great questions that came in. So before I look at the first question uh, that we're going to look at today, I wanted to make a commitment to you. Uh, and my commitment that I want to make to you, uh, really as we're now going to answer some of the questions, is this. I will do the best I can to tell you what the Bible says. I'm going to do the best that I possibly can to tell you in response to the questions that you have here is, as best as I possibly can, what God has to say in His Word, what God says to us in the Bible. The questions that came in, um, if you saw all 75 of them, they're ridiculous. Uh, I mean, they're just hard. They're challenging. Uh, they're inspiring. They're, they're just really amazing questions that came in. And this isn't me trying to be like, you know, uh, pretend false humility. I really don't have the wisdom and the knowledge and the know-how to even answer uh, the questions that came in. But I'm confident that God actually does. Uh, but just, and so my commitment is not just to give you my best guess and my experience and my understanding, but just let's look at the question and then let's just consider, well, what is God's word? What does the Bible actually have to say? Now, I realize that maybe for some of you, you hear me say that and you're like, well, that's a terrible starting point because I actually have questions about the book that you're going to be using to answer these questions. And so your, your mind, you're like, well, now I'm stuck. I asked a question, I want answers, but you're going to use a book that I have a lot of questions about, and I, and I understand that, and we're actually going to talk about that in a few weeks, because a lot of questions came in of, 
how can we actually know that God's, the Bible is God's word and that it actually has any semblance of authority or it speaks to truth? And how did we even get the Bible? Why is there only these certain books, but certain books were left out? So we're going to talk about that when we get to the apologetic questions. But I, I wanted to ask you a question. Would you rather hear what man has to say about your questions for God or would you rather hear what God has to say in response to your questions about him? If you have a question about God for God, would you rather hear just someone get up and philosophize or give a religious answer, or would you actually rather consider, if this is my question to God, I want to consider what God has to say, not just what Michael or any other person has to say. I want to know what God has to say. Uh, One of my uh, favorite Bible verses is Hebrews 4.12. And it says, the word of God, it is living and active. It's alive and it's powerful. So unlike any other book, scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, it speaks. So when we go to it searching and we have questions and we're trying to learn and grow, this is a book that is not just inspired by God, which it is, but it is a book that God uses to speak to us. So I just... My heart, my commitment to you as we start looking at questions is, I'm not giving you my best guess. I'm not wise enough to to even know how to answer these questions, but I'm fully confident that God actually has answers to the questions uh, that we asked, and so that's my commitment to you. Uh, This is the question that came in. Uh, This was actually one of the very first questions that came in. How do you reach God? How do you reach God after you've tried everything? I'm going to read the rest of the question in a second, but I just want you to think about this. This might not be your question, the question that you actually submitted or asked, but I'm going to guess that as I look at this question, this is a question that all of us have asked at some point, or it's a question that resonates with where we are today. How do you reach God after you've tried everything? After praying, crying out to God, studying and reading the Bible, begging God to show you his plan so you can follow it. And still never getting a response. I've tried it all. I beg to hear his guidance. I'll do whatever he asks, but I can't even get him to reach out his hand. What do I do if God still won't speak to me? So within that one question, obviously, is multiple questions. And uh, this is just the one question we're going to answer today. And in the next seven weeks, we'll cover all 74 other questions that came in. But we're going to start with this one and see how far we get. But honestly, when I first read this question, um, I was really convicted. Because I read that question and the first thought that came to my mind was, Michael, when is the last time you've been that hungry? When is the last time that there was a sense of desperation that you had in your heart to write out on paper, I'm trying everything I know to reach God. I want to hear God. I want to see God. Because when I read that question, I read it through the lens of this person is desperate. They're, they're hungry. They're not satisfied with where they are, but yet everything they're doing doesn't seem to be working, but yet there's still a hunger. I want to hear God. I want to see God. I want to know God so that I can walk with God. And so I was really convicted. When's the last time that I have been that hungry? that passionate, uh, that I wanted to see God, that I wanted to hear from God. And as I was thinking about that, um, I had read a book uh, by Thomas Merton years ago, uh, Lessons in Solitude, and I just remember this one quote from the book. Uh, This is Thomas Merton. He said, my Lord God, 
I have no idea where I am going. I cannot see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And so I don't know if whoever wrote the question that we're looking at today, if you're here today, and to challenge, say thanks. Because it was a great question that God used in my life to encourage me and to challenge me. And even if you're not here and you didn't write that question, but you hear the question, you're like, it may as well have been my question. Because that just resonates exactly with my heart and my mind. I just wanted to encourage you that the desire that you have to know God, to see God, to want to hear from God so that you could walk, that is pleasing to him. So if you're here, I just wanted you to know God is pleased with your question. He's pleased with the desire that you have to actually hear him and to see him. So here is the question that we're looking at. How do you reach God? If you've tried everything, praying, reading the Bible, you know, uh, doing things that we often do, spiritual, religious things, going to church, serving, giving, uh, how do we reach God? How do we connect with God in order to walk with God? Now, a second ago, I said this is a theological question because it's a question involving God. And the question of uh, how do we reach God, behind that question, there's more questions. Can we actually even know God? Is it possible to know God? And if it's possible to know God, how do we know God? And if it's possible to know God, what is it that God's actually revealed to us about himself? And if God actually has revealed something to him, to us about himself, well then, for what purpose, for what reason? What are we supposed to do with the information, the knowledge that God's revealed to us about himself? And so this is very much so a theological question. Uh, So before we answer this question, let me ask, how to reach God after trying everything? Is it possible to even reach God? Because that's the question. It's a question about God. Can we know him? Can we, can we understand him? Can we relate with him? So I'm asking the question, is it even possible to reach God? Now, I promised you a moment ago that I would be honest with you and tell you this is what the Bible says, and the Bible says no. You can't. None of us can actually reach God. And I don't say that to discourage anyone here or not to disappoint anyone Uh, But as I told you, I wanted to answer these questions, not just in a thoughtful way, but in the most biblical way that I possibly can. And the scriptures make very clear time and time again, it is not possible for you to actually reach God. It's not possible for man to actually reach God. So the question would be then, well, why not? And the answer would be relatively simple. Well, because sin and holiness just don't match. And I don't think any one of you would disagree with this, but no one would actually sit here and be audacious enough to say, I'm perfect. I've never made a mistake in my entire life. I've never sinned. No one would actually be that bold, maybe even that arrogant or prideful to say, I've never had one impure motive or impure thought. I've never done anything sinful. So if we would all agree that we have all made mistakes, whether one or millions of them, we all have sinned, and God hasn't. God, there is nothing in God that is actually sinful. Scripture says 
He's revealed something about himself that he's holy. And so we know that sinful man and a holy God, man can't reach in our sin out to a holy God. Isaiah 59 says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. So God's perspective, his attitude is not like, could you cry out louder? I am so far away if you just tried harder. If you just prayed louder, maybe I'd actually hear you. God's not saying that the problem is that we're just not trying enough. God says very clearly in his word, it's your sin that has cut you off from me. It's, I'm not too weak to save. I'm not too weak to, to hear or to rescue you. It's your sins have cut us off. So if we know that we can't reach God because of our sins have cut us off from holy God, then the question becomes, will God reach out to us? If I can't reach God, then I have to ask the question, but would God reach me? Do we know enough about God that God's revealed to us that we can't reach him, but can we actually reach God? And the answer is a resounding absolutely yes exclamation point. And how do we know that? How do we know that God can actually reach us? And the answer is very simple. It's in his son. It's in Jesus. The reason I know that God can reach us is because he sent his son to where we are so that we could be with him. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, 1 Peter 3, says this, Christ suffered for our sins. Sin separated us, cut us off from God, but Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned. Remember, Christ is God in flesh. He is the God-man. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but was raised to life in his spirit. Can God reach us? Yes, absolutely. How? He sent his son. Why? So his son would bring us safely back home to be with God. So if we know that we can't reach God on our own, best effort, but we know that God reached out to us through his son, then I want to consider the question again, but I'm going to reword the question. Because the question was, can we reach God? The answer is no. But I want to reword the question to sound like this. Um, How does God reach us? How does God reach us? After he's tried everything, how does God get our attention so that we can see him and hear him and know him so that we can walk with him? We often feel like, gosh, I'm doing everything I possibly can to reach God. And I just wonder if sometimes God is like, you have no idea. You have no idea what I am doing to reach you. You have no idea what I'm doing in your life to get your eyes to be open to me, to get your ears to be open to hear me so that you can know me and walk with me. And so I will ask the question, how does God reach us? After he's tried everything, how does God get our attention? Now, this answer might be very uh, not popular, but suffering. How does God reach us? How does God get our attention through suffering? Is that the only way? No. Is it the primary way? I'd say yes. As I consider Scripture, specifically the men and women that I would say had the most just powerful and profound relationship with God, it's a community of men and women who suffered most profoundly. 
I can't think of an example of someone who knew God, saw God, heard God, walked with God, and they didn't walk through seasons of suffering. Every story that I know of in Scripture, Old and New Testament, men and women who connected with God the most powerfully were the same men and women who also suffered the most profoundly. How does God reach us? God reaches us not just only, but primarily through suffering. So here's the question. Why does God allow suffering in our lives? And I want to be clear. I'm not talking about the problem of evil and the problem of pain. That's a question we're going to talk about uh, in a couple weeks when we get into more apologetic questions of how could a all-loving, all-powerful God allow so much evil and injustice in the world? Where is he? So I'm not talking about the problem of pain and the problem of evil. I am asking the question, why does God use suffering in our lives to connect us to him, to reach us? I'm going to give you two thoughts. Number one would be this. Suffering awakens us to hear and to see God. Suffering awakens means there's something within us that often is on sleep mode or we're just going through the motions. So if you really want to see God and to hear God, God will often... Use suffering in your life and my life to awaken us to see what we don't normally see, to hear what we don't normally hear, so that we can know something of God that we might be missing, so that what we know will inform how we walk with Him. Uh, I quote C.S. Lewis all the time. I will not apologize for that. But if you've never read Mere Christianity, uh, it is such a profound book on one man's journey from atheism to theism uh, to being a Christian. Uh, And this is what, uh, a quote, maybe you've heard this before from Mere Christianity. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us, speaks uh, to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God uses suffering, pains, storms, trials to awaken within us something that we would not normally see or hear. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful And I don't say this flippantly. I'm just thankful that God loved me enough not to let me operate on on sleep mode. I'm thankful that God has used suffering in my life to help me see him and to help me hear him. And I'm not suggesting by any means that that made suffering easier. But if suffering allows me to see and hear God, then I'm thankful And I know this is just for me, and it might not resonate with anyone else, but for me, being honest with you, uh, when things are going well, like when everything is like lined up and it's, you kind of look around, you're like, man, just everything in life is just awesome. And you sing that song, everything is awesome over and over. And you're like, I really feel this. I know for me, the one voice that I'm most concerned about hearing is the voice of those around me giving me applause. When things are going really well in my life, the voice, the the things that I want to see most are people clapping and cheering. And I'm thankful that God uses suffering in my life to deafen that in me and awaken in me an ability to see him and to hear him. So here's a question for you. Will you always be able to see God in the midst of your suffering? If I'm saying that God uses suffering to awaken us to see and hear him, then the question is, does, will you always be able to see God in the midst of pain or storms or trials or suffering? And again, not to discourage you, but the answer is no. You won't always see him. 
You will go through seasons of suffering and storms and pain and hard times, and you will not always be able to see God. Job. If you've never read the story of Job, it is such a profound example of one man's journey through suffering. And in the middle of his journey, Job 23, it says this, if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. Verse 10, but he knows the way that I take, and when he's tested me, I will come forth as gold. Job 360, everywhere I look, I don't see him. And I'm looking, I'm looking in the north and the south and the east and the west. Everywhere I'm turning, I cannot see God. But what I love about what Job says is, but that's okay because he sees me. He sees me. And he's very well aware of where I am. And because he knows where I am, whenever I come out of this season of suffering, whether it's a short one or a long one, whatever God has wanted to accomplish, he will accomplish in my life through this season of suffering. And if you fast forward to the end of the story in Job 42, what does he say? I got to see God. I'd heard of you before, but now I have seen you. I wrote it down in my journal like this. You don't need a vision of God to remind you of the activity of God. You don't always need to see God in the midst of your storm and suffering and trial to be reminded that God is using suffering as evidence that he is actively at work in your life to show you who he is, to help you hear what he has to say so that you can know him and what you know of God, you can walk with him. Suffering, though, is not just about God Helping us to see him, because the second thing I wanted to, to catch is this suffering awakens others to see and hear God. Because it's not just about you seeing and hearing God so that you could know and walk with God. Why does, how does God use suffering in our life? Well, he uses it to awaken me, to help me hear and to help me see what I normally would miss. But God also uses suffering to awaken others to see and to hear God. I don't know if you've ever maybe just from a distance watched someone who's going through suffering and you just quietly said to yourself like, I have no idea how they're enduring everything that they're enduring, but I wish I had the faith that they had. I don't know if you've ever seen someone who's just gone through hell. Everything that could go wrong goes wrong and even worse. But the way that they walk through that pain, that storm, that trial, that suffering, you've just watched from a distance, and he said, I would love to have the faith, the ability to trust like they do. God uses suffering in our lives to awaken other people who might be sleeping. God uses suffering in our lives to help other people who can't see God, can't hear God. He uses suffering to awaken that in us or awaken in them. Just yesterday, I was reading, and um, uh, this is my normal just I open up my phone, my Bible app says read 1 Thessalonians 3, and I said, okay, I'll read 1 Thessalonians 3. And obviously this was not planned according to the Bible app, but I read 1 Thessalonians 3, and Paul in chapter 3 is writing to this community of men and women who are suffering. They're going through just a, a storm of hardship and a storm of pain, and this is what Paul says to this community. 
So we've been greatly encouraged in the midst of our suffering and trouble and suffering. So Paul's saying, we're going through it right now. We're in the storm. Dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith, it gives us new life to know that you're standing firm in the Lord. The Apostle Paul tells this community, you've given me new life. The way that you're suffering is awakening new life in me to see God and to hear God. And I'm not suggesting that just because God uses your suffering, storm, trials, hardships to help somebody else see and hear God, that that somehow just makes it all easy. I'm not saying that. But I do know that when I catch a glimpse of there's purpose in the midst of this pain, there's purpose in the midst of this storm or suffering, that God's going to use that in somebody else's life to help them see him or hear him. I'm thankful. Like, wouldn't it be worth it if you knew that someone who just was not seeing God or hearing God or didn't know God, that God would use you and any hardship you might go through if it would help them see and hear him so they could know him and walk? Wouldn't it be worth it? How does God use suffering? It awakens us to see and to hear him. And not just in us, but it awakens it in other people as well. What I wanted to do in uh, our remaining moments, go ahead, Robin, thank you, is uh, I wanted to invite some good friends of mine up, um, Ricky and um, Amanda Howard. Um, If you guys would come up. Sorry for that noise. And uh, why I'm specifically asking uh, Ricky and Amanda to come up is... um, They have been, um, hey Amanda, hey. just remember, we're just three of us talking, don't worry about it. Um, I met Ricky and Amanda uh, roughly about two plus years ago, and um, uh, you guys had moved here, uh, where'd you guys move from? Alabama. Alabama. <laughs> Roll Tide. Um, Not from there, just to clarify. Well, I, I texted you yesterday, I was very excited to see that Tennessee finally won a game against Georgia, so oh. well done, Tennessee. <laughs> There's one other volunteer here in the crowd. Um, <laughs> um, but over the last uh, two years of knowing uh, Ricky and Amanda, uh, God has used them in my life. And I know other people, if you know them and know a little of their story, would say something very similar. But God has used them and all that they've gone through Uh, in the past uh, few years to awaken something in me to see God and to hear God. So, uh, Amanda or Ricky, if you could just give us the the high-level answer, um, uh, what happened roughly two-plus years ago uh, with Mac? Um, Nine days before our son turned one, he was diagnosed with um, Langerhans cell histiocytosis, which is a form of rare cancer. His body was riddled with tumors, and... um, the hospital we were staying in didn't have the capacity to take care of him. Um, the doctor that was treating him, this was his first case ever. And I'm all for doctors learning, but when it's your child, you're like, I don't Learn think I'm cool with that. Um, so we needed to get somewhere where they were familiar with his disease, they could treat him, and we didn't have to get on a helicopter to do it. So, because um, we were also in that time scheduled to move to Florida. We were closing on a house in three weeks, and um, 
Everything just kind of fell into place, not easily, but it fell into place, and we are now in Boston. So um, I first met uh, Amanda and Ricky, um, honestly, I met Mac first, and I met, someone's going to need to get me some tissues up here, so (laughs) Uh, I met Mac, actually, because uh, there was a picture of a little boy uh, named Mac, thanks, Russ, Um, and I still have it on my desk, and the back of the picture is just this cute little boy. Um, and I just said, pray for Mac. And it was shortly after we had started uh, the 40 days of prayer, which was uh, two years ago this fall. Um, And so, guys, I just wanted to ask you a few questions because uh, I've seen you guys walk with God in the midst of suffering. I feel like God has reached you uh, in some pretty profound ways uh, through a storm and through hardships and through suffering. And... um, and so I just wanted to ask you a few questions, and however you guys want to answer them, uh, and whoever wants to answer them, how did you experience God in the midst of pain, suffering? In the moment? Um, I mean, we experienced God in a lot of ways. Uh, i got to admit that in the moment, it was really hard to see it. Um, it's only in hindsight that we look at some of the things we went through, and we're like, that's not coincidence, that was God. Um, and... We saw a lot during this time with our son. One of the hardest things for me was blood transfusions for him because I knew this wasn't figuratively giving him life. This was literally saving my son's life in front of my eyes. And God bless the people who donate blood. If you donate blood, thank you. Um, But it also put into perspective for me that, um, you know, God saw his son suffer from people who hated him who wanted to see his demise. And my son was being hurt by people who loved him and wanted to help him. So I can't imagine, you know, as a parent, seeing your son suffer because of hatred. And um, just like the blood that saved our son, Jesus' blood saved us. And it just really, I don't want to say it was an aha moment because I've known this since I was a child, but it really gave me a real-life example of how God was working in our life. Don't know that I'm going to... It's done. Don't know that I'll be able to uh, go through this without uh, breaking down, but um, one thing I found was, like, the incredible... Through the pain we were going through, God gave us everything we needed to deal with it. Um bringing us up here, not an easy thing to do in the Air Force. Uh, but, uh, I mean, one obstacle right after the other broke down and bring us up here. Thanks, Ricky. Just in case you didn't pick up on this, uh, Ricky is not actually from Alabama. <laughs> he is from Boston. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> um, what kind of questions did you guys find? Uh, I shared this last week, but it's usually when the storm hits, suffering comes, we start asking tons of questions. So what kind of questions did you find yourself asking God? Uh, The questions we asked weren't out of the ordinary of anyone going through trials. Um, The first one was, when is enough? Like, when are we going to catch a break with this treatment, with this disease? Like, for real. Like, we are tapped out. And then, um, how much can my son take? 
He is a one-year-old child. Like, how much are you going to put on this, this kid? And then it was like, well, how much can we take? You know, like, I am at my max. Ricky's at his max. People are like, oh, you're so strong. And we're like, are you kidding me? Like, no way. And, um, and only after, Mac is off of treatment now, and only now am I, I can't speak for Ricky, but I'm like, what was that all for? You know, when, we, when he was first diagnosed, we were very positive in saying, you know, if, if this experience brings just one person closer to God, it's totally worth it. We'll, we'll ride that storm. Um, but we don't know if we did. And it's not for us to know if we did. But um, we still, you know, 18 months after Mac had his last chemotherapy, we're just like, why? Like, what, what are we supposed to do with all this? Do you feel like, uh, and you kind of answered this a little bit, but uh, were you getting answers along the way, or do you feel like you were experiencing silence? Um, I think in some ways we were getting answers. Um, As Ricky mentioned, you know, a lot of obstacles kind of got out of the way. Um, Moving during a chemotherapy treatment, don't know if you guys know this, not too easy. Um, Ricky had to come up to Boston six weeks before us, so my daughter and my son and I were down with my parents, Um, but there's a saying that the patient doesn't get cancer, the family gets cancer. And I wish I could describe to you guys the emotional toll that this takes, not only as us as parents, but our friends and our family. God bless my mama. You know, she took the brunt of it too. And there were times where I was like, just God, where are you? Like, why are we going through this? I never asked him, like, why us? But I wanted to know, like, if we were going to go through this, then why? Um, There were times I didn't know that he was near us. I remember distinctively everyone going to bed and me just literally laying on the floor crying out to God and um, uncontrollably. I remember being in my car one day and just screaming, just to get that release out of my body. Um, So I know, like, logically, I know he was there. Emotionally, not so much. So it's just kind of a constant battle. But now, again, in hindsight, I know he was there the whole time. Kind of twofold question. Uh, uh, What do you, maybe one or two things you feel like you learned about God along the way? And uh, maybe one or two things that you feel like God showed you about you along the way. I'll answer the second part of that one. (laughs) Um, God showed me before I would say that I wasn't too shy. I had any type of complex or whatever. But this experience definitely showed me that I am a weak soul. Um, I'm broken hearted. And I'm just kind of out of control. Like, he, he's definitely the center, and he keeps everything together. Um, I, I just learned a lot about myself because I guess I never viewed myself as, as a kind of person that would cry. I cry over everything now, everything. And I'm like, who is this chick that, that does this? And um, yeah, Welcome to my <laughs> world. <laughs> But I just feel that, too, he taught me. During Max treatment, I went through a phase where I was not very empathetic toward other people. Like, oh, my kid's got a snotty nose. They missed school. 
tough. I hate that for you, you know. But that quickly evolved into, oh my gosh, like, I'm so sorry that your kid is sick, and it doesn't matter how sick it is because you feel the parental love toward people. So I think he definitely tapped into me being more empathetic to people, which I have a feeling that I did lose along somewhere. What do you think? Sure. Um, I think one of the things uh, we discovered about how God reaches out to us is that it's through other people. Um, You know, just... It's actually, so there is some humor in this, believe it or not. So I remember moving up here, and I was telling Amanda, I'm like, you know, I grew up in Boston. It's not like the South, right? You know, people aren't going to be bringing you pies and squash and, you know, <laughs> dropping them off on our doorstep. And, you know, people don't wave to each other in the street. You know, they might flick you off if you wave to them. And that, happened, that actually happened to me when I uh, moved back up here. I'm like, huh, the South's corrupted me. I'm waving to people, and now I'm getting flicked off. But, um... <laughs> You know, it's funny because we got up here and first, I mean, Genesis and Michael reached out to us. And that was the first unbelievable thing from my perspective because uh, I hadn't experienced that growing up here. And um, then we, you know, moved close to the base. And first week, people are dropping off squashes and pies <laughs> on our doorstep. I was like, this is crazy. Um, yeah, so, I mean, just the, the, the people that we don't know that have been reaching out to us like Amanda said, some of the families that you meet and other people that are suffering. The, um, the promise that I read earlier, uh, Ricky and Amanda, is the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He, rescued, uh, he rescues those uh, whose, whose spirits are, are crushed. And uh, it would be an understatement to say that uh, you were two guys, uh, two people who... Um, experienced a lot of brokenheartedness and just at times where spirits were crushed. So how has that verse um, played out for you? I mean, how has that been true of experiencing the nearness of God in the midst of brokenness? Um, that was definitely one of my go-to verses. Um, you have a few verses in, in the not more than a few, that are just there for comfort. Um, I basically had to hit my head over this, you know, with these verses just because it's, again, Logically, you know these things. Emotionally, it's a different struggle. But it also helped me realize that as chaotic and out of control this whole situation seemed, our path was not a mistake. Our path was given to us by God. Not an easy path, but we'll take it, you know. And um, it's just through the Bible, even though you're not seeing it, you're not necessarily seeing what God is doing beyond you whether it be through the Air Force finding housing or, or good pastors that welcome you into their church and love on you. It's just sometimes you, when you're in the thick of it, you're just so involved with what is immediately around you. But these verses help you realize that there is a bigger picture. He's with you, but he's out there also helping things come together. Um, last question. Um... And if you both can answer, it would be great. Uh, for the person that's here today, uh, they're thinking, gosh, I want to hear God. I want to see God. I want to know. I want to walk. I want to really experience encounter God day to day. Uh, and you heard me say earlier that uh, often God reaches us through suffering. He allows us to go through hard things in order that we can see him and hear him and know him and walk with him. Um, from your experience, and this experience is not over. Uh, you're still in the midst of it. Um, to the person who's just struggling, 
How would you want to encourage them just from what you guys have learned so far? Don't give up. I mean, I know that sounds so simplistic, but um, I definitely doubted God through a lot of this. And even now, I'm like a little bit hesitant, but I literally had to write on the mirror in my bathroom that my job is to trust that's been up there for about two years now. And I still have to read it and remind myself of it. And you do. You just have to trust God. And it's hard. I know it's so hard when you're not seeing him. But he's there. And he loves you. So just just be persistent and you'll see him. Maybe not now. <laughs> um, yeah. A lot of what you've uh, said today kind of hit me personally, you know, uh, reaching out to God and he's not there. Um, you're right. It's, God will reach out to you. That's really the, the only thing that I've experienced that's really true. And uh, sometimes that's been great and sometimes that is hurt. Um, but if, if he's not reaching out to you, I would say that you, you just got to kind of let your actions you know, be your guide initially. You know, if you're not, even if you don't really truly believe or feel like your faith is gone, just going through the action sometimes helps you to meet people, meaning, you know, going to church and praying and, you know, helping people. And, you know, as you go through that cycle, sometimes that helps your mind to come around and for um, for your faith to strengthen. And then when God actually reaches out to you, hopefully not like this, um, but then uh, hopefully you'll be ready to meet him. Um, Ricky and Amanda, I just wanted to say thanks. Um, yesterday, uh, when I read First Thessalonians, uh, I thought of you guys. And I read Paul uh, writing a letter to this community, and Paul says it's given us new life uh, to, to watch and to know how you, speaking to this other community, how they've just walked through the suffering that they're going through. And I just love that Apostle Paul says it gave me new life. And so. I can definitely say, I don't know if I'm not supposed to talk anymore, but um, <laughs> I can definitely say that my relationship with Christ is definitely stronger because of this. Because it's as you mentioned, when things are going glorious, you don't really need God. You know, you don't give Him the credit that He deserves. Um, but it is when you are crushed and you are broken as a person, crying on the floor and screaming in your car, you know, that's, that's where God is. And that, for me, I think we experience God differently, but for me, it was in the quietness, other than the quietness in my mind, which wasn't there. But, you know, it was just the, the physical quietness around us that, that helped bring me closer to God. Would you guys thank Ricky and Amanda? Um, it took um, a ton of courage uh, for Ricky and Amanda uh, to share uh, their story today. Uh, they'll actually be back tonight at the 5 p.m. Uh, to share it one more time because um, they're not done. Uh, their son, Mac, has more tests this week. Uh, his next round of scans to, uh, to see where he's at is happening this week. And I spent some time in the first service uh, we put that up on that wall two years ago because when we first met Mac and we first met the Howard family, uh, it was right in that season when our church took 40 days to say, we're just going to stop everything, we're just going to pray. And that's when God introduced us to Mac. 
And so uh, I'm inviting us as a church to be in prayer for him, to be in prayer for Ricky and Amanda. Uh, Max got an older sister uh, named Blyler. And so this week, uh, uh, they've got some pretty significant tests. So just invite you guys as a church, let's be praying for them. Um, and I really wanted you to catch uh, whoever sent this question in today or a while ago that we're covering today. Um, it is such a great question of how do we reach God. Uh, and I just I want to encourage you that we can't, but he reaches us. Um, and he'll reach us in so many different ways, but God is often reaches us through suffering. And so uh, God is not a formulaic God. Uh, I refuse to give you a formula of if you read your Bible, if you pray, you serve, if you give, if you come to church, if you're just nice to people, there you'll reach God. You won't. We can't reach him, but he can reach us. And once God has reached us, clearly there are things that we can do that help grow us in that friendship, that relationship with God. All of those things I mentioned, that helps grow us in that friendship, but we only have that because he reached us. Uh, And so I don't know where you all are, but uh, part of being reached by God and then growing with God is paying attention to the seasons that God has you in. And I know for some of you, your story might not relate to the Howards, but it just feels like the waves keep coming and you just feel like you're crushed. And so I just wanted to encourage you uh, that God's not left you. Psalm 40, 34, 18 God is near. He is close uh, to to those whose hearts break, whose spirits are crushed. So I just wanted to pray uh, for you if you're in that season. And I don't say this as a a warning, uh, but your season might start tomorrow. Uh, I know from Scripture that everyone that connected with God, heard God, saw God, walked with God, all went through suffering. So if you're not in it, there will be a time where God will use suffering to help you see him and hear him in ways you would not normally see. So Father God, thank you so much that you love us enough that you knew we could not reach you, but you reached us. You reached us. You sent your son to reach us so that we could have a home with you now and forever in heaven. So God, thank you for being a God who has revealed himself to us and has reached out to us that we might know you, that we might see you, that we might hear you. God, I give thanks that you have used suffering in my life, in our lives, to help us see and hear what we would normally have missed. And God, I pray that if there's anyone in the storm right now, God, I pray that you would overwhelm them with your presence. And God, whether they can see you or not, God, I pray that just the fact that suffering is happening in the season of our life would remind us that you are actively at work helping us to see you, helping us to hear you so that we can know you and walk with you. God, I give thanks for Ricky and for Amanda and for Blyler and for Mac. God, I give thanks for the courage that Ricky and Amanda displayed this morning to share what you've done in their life, what you're doing in their life. God, I give thanks for how you've used this family. For sure, in so many people's lives here, but God, I give thanks that you've used them in my life to awaken me to see you in ways I would have missed, to hear from you in ways I would have missed. God, you are a good father. 
And we give thanks that you are a good Father who loves us enough to do what it takes to help us to see you, help us to hear you, so that we can know you as our good, good Father.